Hey, and welcome to Beyond Motherhood Radio. I am so honored to share this space with you. Here we'll talk all things motherhood, parenting, relationships, mindset, child development, and tapping into your purpose, all to help you live your most aligned and best life. My name is Brittany, and I am married to my high school sweetheart, a mother to four children under the age of six, a certified parenting coach, and a former elementary school teacher turned stay-at-home mom. I am on a mission to help you raise amazing humans while living your purpose and staying somewhat sane in the process. If you're ready to go beyond motherhood, let's jump in. Welcome back to Beyond Motherhood Radio. My name is Brittany LaJoy and I'm your host. Welcome to episode five of 2024, our second season. If this is one of your first episodes, welcome and I'm so glad you're here. And if you've been with me for a while, thank you so much for spending your valuable time tuning in. It really means a lot to me and it keeps me recording and sharing week after week. Let's get into today's topic. We are going to be talking about how to deal with and approach a situation that happens with your child at daycare or in the classroom. And I'm speaking of a negative situation, uh, something behaviorally that's happening inside the classroom. For example, you get an email from your teacher that your child is having a hard time keeping their hands to themselves, or they're hiding in the corner of the classroom, refusing to do anything, and this has happened multiple times. Or you're hearing at pickup every day that your child is biting other kids at daycare. First, I know your mom heart will sink. Second, you'll probably feel a little defensive of your child. They couldn't possibly do anything like this. And third, you might feel guilt or shame that this is happening with your child. And then fourth, ideally, you'll want to fix whatever is happening. And that's what I want to talk about today. How can we fix it? You might not be aware of my background. And for the purposes of today's topic, I want to quickly share with you where I've been and which it's ultimately led me to be able to talk with confidence about this topic here today. In my former life, pre-kids and pre-marriage, I was both a counselor and a director of a summer camp locally. We had roughly 150 kids in our care from 7 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. every day of the summer. It was a big job with the oversight of a lot of children and a lot of staff. This kind of kick-started my relationship with parents and caregivers in this type of role. If any problems would arise, I was the go-to person to contact to help diffuse or understand the issue a bit more. During the school year, I was a public school kindergarten teacher, and like many teachers, I had a full-time summer job in order to simply get by. The educator pay is a severe problem, and it's not enough for people to live on. And if we want more quality teachers in the system, we definitely need to pay them more. There are way too many opportunities these days to make really good money, where the stress level is not nearly as high, the demands don't nearly equate, and the pressure is nowhere near that of a teacher. It's a really sad existence to have to be a teacher and to not be able to pay your bills. So anyways, that is not something I really want to get into other than pay your teachers. But anyways, I've had multiple jobs early on in my teaching career. And I say this because, again, the experience I have had with today's topic comes from these years. I eventually moved to a private school where the amount of parent-teacher communication was actually much higher than public school, like I was in communication with them a lot more, but the conversations weren't as intense or emotional as they might have been in public school. When I decided to be a stay-at-home mom after my second daughter, literally 
because I would pay my employer to go to work because I was getting paid so little. This is when I started my parent coach certification. And it was here that I developed even more skills to be able to identify the underlying unmet need that children face. The certification has been the key for me in unlocking the skills and understandings that I have. And I've been practicing for so many years prior um, because becoming a mom myself and equipping myself with the foundational understandings of empowered parenting, child development, brain science, this has truly made me into the mom, the human, and the educator that I am today. And I always say that if I was a mom when I was a young teacher, I think I would have done things so much differently. I just think that becoming a mom and then being an educator, I just think it gives you so much more empathy and such a different perspective on what kids are actually dealing with. Uh, So anyways, I think all of that has kind of helped shape me into who I am and why I'm here and why I like to talk about these things. One of the most prevalent topics inside my inbox is how to help a struggling child at school or daycare. I talk all the time to parents and caregivers about my kid is doing this at daycare. I'm getting notes home about this or uh, this. my child is continuously having problems with this certain other kid or whatever it may be. I will talk interchangeably here in both the parent and the teacher perspective, and I hope that that comes across clear to you. This is a version of what I hear from parents on the regular. This is happening over and over, but they don't seem to do anything about it for my child, and my child isn't getting the help they need. Well, this sparked so many thoughts for me, and this this was from a parent, right? I instantly get very curious. First of all, putting on my educator hat here, and I want this to be very loud and clear, I have never met an educator or a teacher who doesn't have the child's best interests in mind. I actually made this comment on a thread in one of the mom groups that I'm in on Facebook once, and I actually got bashed with, well, then you haven't met this teacher then. And fair enough, fair enough. I'm sure there are those out there who are out to get their students, but thankfully, over all of the years that I have worked in the educational system, the coworkers that I have had face the challenges with first empathy and then with a solution mindset. We don't want your child to struggle as much as you don't want them to struggle. And with that said, the best thing that you can do for your child is be willing to work with the teacher, the educator, the daycare provider. Listen with intent. Try to understand the full picture of what they're experiencing and being willing to take the suggestions. There have been so many times when a child is struggling with regulation or academics and the caretakers are looking to pass the blame to the teacher. And when a teacher brings a concern to you, they truly want to help your child be successful. This might mean swallowing your pride and using outside resources. I love outside resources. I love being able to say yes to helping my child succeed. Having guidance from a professional is so reassuring and helpful and never, ever, ever something to be ashamed of. Instead, you should be celebrating having resources and being able to provide help for your child. All that said, there are times when the educator is not equipped with the skills or understanding of everything that might be happening in a particular situation. They might not be trained in trauma responses. They might not have children of their own. Again, this makes you a million times better teacher, in my opinion. And they might not understand that all behavior is communication. They also might not know that they should be looking for the unmet need that the child is seeking to fulfill. This is not always possible for them to do or have a solid grasp on. And this is where your advocacy as a parent can come in. The powerhouse parent, the one who cares the most, 
the one your child runs to. You are the voice. So I want to help you use your voice for purpose and for clarity. With permission, I'll be sharing a story from a friend who was seeking guidance and understanding for some of the troubles that she was having with her son at daycare. Actually, this is a preschool, so it's not daycare. I think that this uh, scenario is so powerful and we were able to get so much clarity by the end of it. So here's the backstory. He's a 3.5, three and a half year old boy, and he's having a hard time in his preschool. He is the youngest in age, but the largest in size, which poses a problem in itself. My friend was getting reports that he was always having random bouts of complete dysregulation. This happened around 10 to 11.30 in the morning, right around snack time. And it would show up as hitting, pushing, throwing chairs. She discovered that the disruption would occur for long periods of time, much longer than she would allow in her own home uh, because she would be able to physically give him a hug or show him love or give him some sort of physical touch. And that's not allowed at a preschool. My friend is very practical. She understands the school setting and she understands it can be limited in resources sometimes, but she's also very confused as to why it was happening and why it was happening for such long periods of time. I was excited that she reached out and was so excited to talk and walk through it with her because sometimes being able to process your thoughts and feelings with someone else gives perspective that you hadn't thought of before. Often we jump to conclusions and are looking for validation in our feelings, but sometimes talking with others with an unbiased view can give you exactly the other view that you need. We workshopped this together over a period of a few weeks because she was able to implement some ideas with the teachers and the director and then come back with more information. Based on the initial information that I was given, I was able to, one, give her validation that, yes, the long period of dysregulation is unsettling, it can be handled differently, and it is quite alarming. And two, there are holes in the story that need to be addressed. I gave her a list of clarifying questions that she was able to either answer on her own if she knew the answers or bring to the meeting that she was going to have with the directors coming up. And one of the very first things I would do as a parent is to request a meeting, an in-person meeting with all of the stakeholders, all of the people who are involved in your child's day. Those are the ones who are able to offer support and understanding. The more information you can gather with the bigger picture in mind, the better. So try to remain neutral as the parent and the teacher will hopefully be able to do the same. Offer what's happening without inserting any shame or judgment. That is the goal of the teacher. She should be able to be uh, very honest and very frank and very open with you, offering what's happening, what's going on, without adding any labels or judgment. Here is the list that I gave to my friend. I'm going to share these in the show notes as well. This is the information I would need to know as a parent, and also it gives your, your teacher, your educator, some understanding too of the deeper picture of what's going on with any sort of behaviors that are arising. These are the things I might ask or clarify. Can you give me more clarity around what is happening directly before the episode and directly after? The timing is huge. The timing of what's going on in the situation is so important because this can be a real simple unmet need. Is he hungry? Is he tired? Is he thirsty? One of those core essential needs we can solve really easily. If it's not that, that's important to know too. But if it's around any sort of typical food time, that might be a key right there. 
Another question, is he triggered by other kids or is it an always a solo event? So what is the triggering piece here? From what I know, again, I would say this to the, the educator, from what I know about child development, attachment science and behavior, I know that all behavior is, is an experience of an unmet need. What do you think he's trying to get met during this time? And I would maybe offer some ideas. Is he is he looking for connection? Is he feeling left out? Is he hungry? Is he seeking communication? Is he seeking validation? Is he seeking justice? I'd just be curious about what that is, that if they have any understanding or, or insight into what that might be that he's looking to do or have met. I'm curious as to why the episodes are so long in length. And this, again, is kind of particular to this situation with my friend, but does the behavior increase or decrease or stay the same during the entire duration? Like, what does this actually look like? Another question, what type of language is being used to help him work through it? Are you telling him to stop? Is there redirection? What type of language is going on? What are the consequences? Are they logical consequences? Does the punishment fit the crime? And we know here that the punishment, oh, I didn't tell you this yet, but we'll find out that the punishment does not fit the crime in this case. And so that's a really alarming thing too. The consequence that he's receiving is not logical, does not make sense. What gets him out of the episode? So yes, we know they're long in length, but what's how is he finally able to turn it around and go on with the rest of his day? And speaking of the rest of the day, what is his demeanor for the rest of the day after this happens? Is he calm, cool, and collected? Like what's going on here? Why is this such a long period of dysregulation? And then seemingly snaps right out of it and the parent doesn't hear about it for, you know, hours or that even, you know, after school ends, what's going on. So then I would talk to the teacher about the protocols in the classroom. What is the protocol? Is throwing chairs and hitting others is the protocol to clear the room? Now, if it is to clear the room, it, in, in my opinion, in my perspective, it would be ideal if the rest of the kids cleared the room so that the dysregulation could be handled in the same environment. And that so we would co-regulate together. The teacher and the student would co-regulate together and calm them down. Now, again, this is not, we, we don't want to have to clear the room as educators. That's not an ideal thing. But for the student that's having the episode, that is the ideal situation. It is not ideal for the child to be removed from the classroom and be left alone. That is not something we would want to do because they physically cannot regulate themselves. They need an adult there to help them. So I also shared with my friend that from a teacher's point of view, my initial thought without knowing much about the situation other than what I described to you here is that the teacher might be looking to document this information so that they have a real clear understanding in his portfolio about how he behaves in different scenarios. Does that make sense? It does make me a little unsettled because we don't want kids to be dysregulated for this period of time, but perhaps, and I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt here, perhaps they're working on gaining information to present to like a CDS to help the child get services. Child development services is what CDS stands for. And this could, should be communicated with the parent no matter what. Like if you're looking to make documentation on a student or get some information to provide to CDS for an evaluation or something of that sort, that should be no questions asked relayed to the parent. Parent and teacher should be in direct communication about that. I would ask for the information that they're going to present for the referral so that you are aware of what they are sharing. 
Okay, so the situation I have described above is similar to so many that I've seen in my classroom and that of my colleagues. It is unique in nature, but it is also very common. So if you're listening and feeling like you have had an experience like this with your own child or something a little less severe or something a little more severe, know that you're not alone. But the homeschool connection is so important in finding success for your child. I cannot stress this enough. As a parent and an educator, you need to be open to hearing with an open heart and an open mind. And as a parent, don't take it personally. 99% of the time, the teacher is keeping you up to date on what's going on in order to help your child succeed and help you get in touch with the resources that you can connect with outside of the school. So please listen to them and trust them. As an educator, also have an open heart and an open mind. It doesn't feel good to hear that your child is struggling. Yes, it is essential to be open with your classroom parents. It's essential. Please hear that as well. Keep them informed. It might feel like you're being too much. Sometimes it might feel like you're keeping them in loop for too many things. But when it comes time to make those recommendations for other avenues or assistance, evaluations, academic help, therapy, for example, you don't want them to be caught off guard. And that's a really uncomfortable place to be as a teacher and a parent. If you're suddenly being asked to get your child evaluated, or that might be helpful, or they might be in need of some therapy, like, and that's coming out of the blue, that's really uncomfortable. So as the leader of your classroom, hold a ton of empathy for your parents and make it very clear that you're hoping to work together to help your student. In the story I talked about above, it became clear with every conversation that the three-year-old boy was seeking justice that could be labeled as fairness, consistency, routine, structure. He needed all of these things lined up. At home, my friend noted that he loves having a job with clear expectations. So could he have a job at school too? This accommodation we felt would help immensely. We determined that he wanted to be involved in the other kids' situations, which then had the teachers frustrated because he inserted himself with with others. And from a teacher point of view, this is hard. I can assume that the class is large. There are many little bodies moving around at once and the commotion can be overwhelming very quickly. But from the student's point of view, you gave us a job. There are some students who are not following that job. So I'm confused why they're not doing what they're supposed to do. That's not fair. That's not just. And then he, he might think more than that. I'm not seeing and feeling consistency because when I'm trying to help and when I'm trying to do my job, they're the ones that aren't listening. It's not me. So that's not consistent. So my friend's son would be sent to sit alone at the office for an extended period of time during dysregulation. And again, this was confusing and frustrating to him. It becomes a cycle and one that a three-year-old boy cannot handle without co-regulation. Remember, especially at this age, Kids are looking to us, the adults, to help them regulate themselves. They physically cannot do it themselves. So leaving them alone to think about it at the office is literally pointless. Here's a way I might help the student process what's going on. This is a teacher's point of view. I see you want to help your friends learn to share. Is that right? Hmm. How can we do that together? And then the teacher can come up with ways to help him get those needs met. From a parent's point of view, I would also focus on the triggers as opposed to the reactions. In other words, what is happening to set off the dysregulation? I'm honestly less concerned with how they show the dysregulation, throwing chairs, for example. And this might sound counterintuitive, but we aren't looking for what he's doing. We're looking for how we can fix the problem. And without knowing what the problem is, how are we going to fix it? 
Remember, all behavior is communication. What is this this three-year-old boy trying to communicate with his teachers? I'm using this example of my friend and her son today as an example, but I want you to hear the focus of the story. The behaviors are stemming from somewhere. Some need is not being met. The reality is sometimes educators are not equipped to read this appropriately, and some methods of discipline in educational settings are very outdated. That is not to say that teachers are not willing to learn and grow. They are. That's why they have made education their career. But as parents and a parent who listens to this podcast, I know that you want to be helpful and you want to be an educated advocate for your child. I know you want to help them and I know you want to find the root cause of what's going on. So every time we learn a little bit more, that view gets a little bit clearer. From a teacher's point of view, sometimes we see things in a different lens than you do at home and that is okay. Will you have an open heart and hear what we have to say? I promise we're here to help. And we are more than willing to collaborate with you. How can we be on board with one another to get the best outcome for your child? I feel like this conversation today might have been a little all over the place. I attempted to give you all types of perspectives, and I hope that that translated well. And also, one last note here. If your child's teacher suggests holding them back, and I would say prior to second grade, so if your child is in pre-K, three, pre-K, four, kindergarten, and first grade, if their teacher is suggesting to hold them back, please trust that teacher. We look at more than just academics, and really you're only giving them more chance at childhood because they will grow up whether we want them to or not. And with another year, they might become a confident leader and just have another year of growth. If you have any questions about your child in particular, what's going on with them in school or daycare, feel free to reach out on my Instagram, my Facebook, Brittany underscore LaJoy, or wherever you can find me. Maybe you have my phone number and we can workshop this together. Please share this episode with a friend. And until next time, take care of yourselves. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. I hope you love this episode. And if you did, would you please share it with another mom friend? We cannot support each other enough these days, and perhaps sharing this podcast will bring some light to someone else in your life. Feel free to leave a rating and review so we can continue to have these important parenting conversations together. With that, I'll see you next time. Take care.